0: the cnbc app global market news in one place customizable sections and personalized alerts stocks tracking interactive charts and market insights all in your hands stay connected stay informed download the cnbc app today
1: hello and welcome to sportbox here are your headlines today infection confirmed chinese authorities announced the first known case of the omicron variant on the mainland putting Beijing's zero-tolerance approach under fresh pressure. Wall Street pulls back with technology and travel stocks leading to losses, while Asian equities also slide on Omicron fears, spooking investors ahead of Wednesday's Fed decision. Morgan Stanley boss James Gorman tells CNBC he's expecting volatility.
0: Rates will rise with absolute certainty, and I think it will happen as I'm sure we're going to talk about probably sooner than most people do. That kind of readjustment back to a more normal environment not necessarily a bad thing a small correction here is not necessarily a bad thing elsewhere the australian biopharma giant csl announces plans to acquire the swiss drug maker vifor of in a deal worth 12 billion dollars Plus, top marks for the UK's largest lenders as they pass the Bank of England's latest stress test, whilst the central bank says it has no plans to change its position on bank dividends. So warm welcome to Scorebox with Karen in the studio and myself, uh, well, in the middle of nowhere. Uh, China has reported its first case of the Omicron variant on the mainland in the city of Tianjin. It was detected in a traveler from overseas, apparently, and comes as Beijing pursues a zero-tolerance approach to COVID. The Omicron, uh, Omicron variant now accounts for at least 20% of confirmed cases in England. Uh, The UK Health Secretary Sajid Javid warned the new variant makes up 44% of cases in London and will become the dominant variant in the capital over the next 48 hours. Well, apparently there were lengthy queues seen around the country as people lined up to secure their booster jab, whilst the country's vaccine booking website crashed amid a surge in demand, although I do know that many people I heard I did manage to get on, so I don't know how long the crash was for. Well, Mr Javid outlined the scale of the task facing the UK as authorities look to ramp up daily vaccinations. That We have the jabs. The challenge now is to get them into the arms.
2: To meet our ambitious target, the NHS will need to deliver a record number of jabs. Until now the highest number of jabs that we've delivered in a single day in the UK was over 840,000. We'll, now, we'll not only need to match that, but we will need to beat that every day. But we can, and we've got a plan to try and do it.
1: Slightly unusual markets in session yesterday. We had that tailwind from Wall Street on Friday where we wrapped up on the inflation numbers. We still had fresh records on the S&P 500. However, the mood music just seemed to change during the course of the trade. We had a lot of news crossing around Omicron and in particular an update early on European time from Ox- the uh, Oxford University about the impact of uh, the uh, vaccines on the latest variant as they conducted some studies. And the market just picking up on some of those trends trends. Of course, the language here from the UK to around what we're seeing and what we had a sell off. Don't forget, well, there was always a risk event around this week. Just about every major central bank on the planet is meeting this week, all the ones that investors care about namely the Fed, the ECB, Bank of England and beyond, a lot of major central banks. And so there was always concern that you might see just a bit of a pullback from some of the high ranges on stock markets uh, given the event risk around the central banks or discussing major policy action. So an excuse may have been enough just to spook investors from uh, some of the, the more optimistic uh, trades they've had on. That happened in session. You can see the Dow pulling back down nine-tenths of a percent. The S&P 500 down a similar tune, and tech stocks as well. When we talk about uh, whether we've got a more hawkish Fed accelerating the taper program and uh, potentially spelling out the case for rate hikes next year at a, a faster pace, that's a big one for the markets and particularly technology names. Now, U.S. travel stocks. Uh, what we saw a retreat was in some of those real reopening themes, particularly the tourism sector. We had a, a fall of almost 5% on American Airlines, 3.4 on Delta. Carnival in the cruise shipping business you can see falling under pressure and uh, 2.5 off Hilton. So across the board we saw a bit of a give back to the trade. I want to take you elsewhere and what we've got on Treasury markets uh, has been a flattening of the curve. This is concerning some investors about the picture the bond markets is spelling out for the long-term growth story. You can see the two-year at 0.64. There's been a huge concentration there of late around what the Fed may do sooner rather than later. The 10-year uh, 1.42 at this stage. Asian markets, uh, we were just talking about the first uh, uh, COVID case of Omicron in China. This is a big one uh, because we've spoken about the sort of shutdowns and the approach that Chinese authorities have been taking to COVID infections already, and that's with uh, other variants. So what we've got now, a little bit of a, a sell-off taking place across the region, half of a percent down for the Chinese markets. Hong Kong's down more than that. And you can see it's matched with red right across the board. So these markets are giving back territory. I would say Australia, though, not moving too much versus the others, are very much on the floor. Flat line. The opening calls, uh, European markets. Here's how we're looking this morning. We've got a bit more green back on the boards. We did have a fourth negative session in a row. It looked like we'd parked the red ink morning session as investors try to pick up on that Wall Street trade. But then as uh, the U.S. markets reopened later on, we did have a bit more negativity back in the mix. Those big themes around COVID situation and of course the monetary policy outlook from Central Bank. Steve.
0: Yeah, well done, Karen. I think there's some really fascinating, absolutely fascinating things going on these markets. As uh, you and I have been alluding to for a long while, the leadership of the markets compared to what's going on in the breadth of the market are two completely different things. And we'll spend a bit of time on that in coming shows and later on today. Uh, As you mentioned, it's all about central banks. The Federal Reserve's Monetary Policy Committee is widely expected to accelerate its bond purchasing program. And sing- signal an earlier interest rate hike, as it may be more interest rate hikes as well, as it kicks off its two day December meeting today. Earlier this month, the Fed Chair Jerome Powell told US lawmakers he's ready to retire the term transitory. With regards to inflation, that's nice of him, isn't it? Uh, perhaps giving the strongest indication yet that he is ready to more quickly unwind some of the policies enacted to help cope with the pandemic. Well, the Morgan Stanley CEO James Gorman told uh, Wilfred Frost of CNBC that the Fed may need to move raise to move raise. I think we mean move rates sooner uh, to give itself flexibility in the future. At the moment, at zero interest rates, we have no ammunition. We are 10 rate increases, 10 quarter point rate increases from normal. So if I were the Fed, I would start moving earlier rather than later, store away some ammunition and accept the reality. Now, this is before you even get to the inflation discussion. So we'll see. I guess the um, FOMC meeting is, I think, this Wednesday. Wednesday. Uh, We'll see where they come out. I would be very surprised if there aren't more dots talking about rate increases next year. Uh, meanwhile, the port of Los Angeles' uh, executive director, Gene Soroka, uh, stressed the importance of maintaining a smooth flow of goods in America's largest seaport to avoid further supply crunches throughout the country. If we went backwards and this port became a log jam once again, we couldn't get trucks in and out, we've seen some of these other metrics that we look at daily improve as well. The amount of time it takes for cargo to get loaded onto a train and moved out to the interior of the country is down to two days. You may remember it was as high as 13 and a half days just several months ago. The amount of time it takes for truck cargo to get out has been cut almost in half since we started talking about these fees. So it would take a complete reversal. Again, we want to keep moving forward, keep improving the supply chain in areas that we can make a difference. So Francesco Pezzoli joins us now, FX Trashist at ING. Francesco, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Um, I was a little bit dismayed at some of the copy that came over from you, actually, and and that is that people are already beginning to take their positions off ahead uh, of the last major events of the year. I mean, it is that time of year, Francesco, where if you've made a bit of money on your dollar long, maybe you want to trim it as well. But are people just saying this is an end-of-year trade or actually an end-of-the-trade?
2: uh well we we don't really think it's it's a good moment to um kind of close those um dollar long dollar positions uh and that's because we um expect as um Uh, It appears to be mostly consensus, admittedly, that uh, the Fed will indeed accelerate uh, the pace of its tapering um, by um, signalling 30 billion more um, in in January and uh, 30 billion more in February. This basically puts them on track to end QE in March. And we think this will be a pretty hawkish signal considering what's going on with with Omicron. And we um, are a bit doubtful that this is fully priced in by the market within this. Still part of the market that is pricing in uh, some Omicron-related uh, kind of concerns by the Federal Reserve so that, at this moment, in our view, seem should be uh, more than offset by um, kind of uh, the, the, the the quite um, uh, substantial um, concerns about inflation. So. Uh, we think overall there's still room for the dollar to stay supported into, into year-end, um, especially this week. This appears to be really the last week where we can see some uh, kind of big uh, directional moves in effect with all these uh, central bank meetings. Uh, then it should uh, all uh, be much quieter uh, um, towards the end of the year then we might see the dollar kind of give away some of the recent gains. Uh, But for this week, we think uh, it's still a a long dollar story.
0: Okay, A lot of concern, of course, and Ed on this channel about um, policy mistakes as well. And there was a terrific line with you, agree or not with the man. Uh, Mohamed el Arian talking to our very own Becky Quick yesterday. uh, And it's on CNBC.com Pro as well. Calling inflationary transitory uh, this is the line from Elerian. The characterization of inflation as transitory is probably the worst inflation call in the history of the Federal Reserve, and it will result in a higher probability of a policy mistake, said Mr. Elerian yesterday. What do you feel about that?
2: Well, it's pretty clear that the, that the Federal Reserve had to take um, a pretty unusually uh, fast Uh, turn um, when it comes to the uh, whole kind of inflation story um but but obviously it's it's probably due to the fact that uh, these are kind of still very much uncharted territory when it comes to the reaction and the uh, the economic reaction the policy reaction uh to the uh, to the pandemic so um obviously this this is quite surprising to see kind of the fed uh moving from what we uh, had um in in kind of mid this year uh where we're talking about uh, average uh inflation targeting and now now we're talking about rate hikes uh, in just in a, in a couple of quarters from now. Uh, but, uh, but I think the Fed has made the adjustment uh, relatively smoothly uh, considering how things have changed uh, and they're still on, on a decent track to do uh, the right thing at the right time probably.
1: Francesco, it's Karen jumping in. I want to get some calls on this week. We've got so many central banks on the ticket and it feels as though as we've been talking, uh, this dollar is king story is coming through. The Fed narrative is particularly strong. So any central bank that can wrestle the conversation away from the Fed may see some resulting move in the currency. Is that the way you view it? And which uh, central bank do you think will be the one that moves the market this week?
2: Well, we think uh, the Fed, as I was saying, um, expected to be dollar positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ecb um, should in our view be uh, kind of euro negative or in in any way uh, kind of cap the ability of euro dollar to uh, sustainably uh, kind of go back above 113 in or towards 114 and uh, the reason for that is that we expect the ecb to introduce a third purchasing program uh, once um the um ppp is uh, discontinued in um, march so um we think um this this kind of the policy divergence that has been a driver of kind of euro dollar weakness, the Fed ECB policy divergence should continue to widen uh, this week. Uh, when it comes to the Bank of England, we don't expect a hike um, uh, this week, but probably mostly in the price it should remain on track for a, uh, for a hike in February. So um, we expect some only marginal weakness in sterling. Uh, we expect some decent upside for uh, the Norwegian program as the uh, Nordisk Bank is uh, uh, set to high grades.
1: Francesca, when you look out into next year, uh, we've had a lot of movement around the dollar and as we've been talking about, it's just been very hard to to really step away from the greenback. But (coughs) is it time to start thinking about positioning again and some of the risk on currencies?
2: Yeah, we 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 think that um, kind of the dollar. We still expect the dollar to stay supported next year, uh, but uh, this is not a, a view across the board. We think that um, the kind of the low yielders may um, can be remain the uh, biggest victims of dollar strength in 2022. Or whereas pro-cyclical currencies, uh, especially some of them, were particularly like the Canadian dollar, and the Norwegian krone. Um, can uh, kind of continue to outperform. They have strong domestic stories. They have a a, a prospect of tightening, uh, ongoing tightening in Norway, prospect of tightening in Canada. We particularly like the Canadian dollar because it's a very interesting product trade for uh, a solid US growth story. Uh, So we think there will be a lot of local stories next year, but in general, we still expect the dollar to stay supported.
1: And where does it leave the so-called safe havens like the Japanese yen? Because we have seen a uh, fairly strong movement in, in 2021. And typically when you have some volatility in the Japanese yen, you can see it snap back in the opposite direction.
2: <laughs> well, this there's um, not really much our case. Um, we, we still uh, look at the Japanese yen as mostly... Uh, a function of, of uh, US interest rates. And um, our, our rates team is still calling uh, for a uh, for a rise in uh, interest rates in 10 year uh, treasuries. In 2022, uh, obviously, there has been kind of the demand and supply story there uh, going on, and a lot of buying um, by central banks. As this is scaled back, we think there will be more upside room for um, uh, back end yields uh, in, in US treasuries. And this should um kind of in the in, in the next four quarters, in our view, uh, continue to drive kind of dollar yen higher.
0: Um, Francesca, just a quick one on the bemused um, situation that we all are regarding what's going on with the Turkish Central Bank, which appears to be run out of the president's office at the moment as well. How's that experiment going to end? Uh, well,
2: it's <laughs> It's very unclear. Uh, I think that um, I mean this will be the last meeting of the year. Uh, when markets are expecting another cut, and uh, the lira is coming off pretty strongly again. Uh, I think for now, it's it's very it's, it's very hard to uh, kind of pick uh, the lows in um in in the lira at this moment. I think markets might start to price in a bit of a shift towards more uh, orthodox. Monetary policy in 2022, but we'll we'll need to see some indications from uh, obviously uh, Turkey, uh, Turkey Turkey's president uh, that this will be the case. Uh, for now, it just seems too hard, really, to uh, to make any call on that.
0: Um, you wouldn't advise anyone else going ahead with that policy, though, would you? I mean, quite frankly, it's, it's it seems extraordinary in the face of high inflation. Is there a metaphor or is there a parallel anywhere else in the emerging world?
2: Uh, well it's not not really um i think it's 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 pretty clear that uh, this is a, a policy uh that can um, it hits from from a, simply from a currency perspective, it really uh, hits the currency uh, quite a lot. Obviously, the ultimately, the, the impact on the economy um, and then uh, a kind of Turkish population will be seen um, possibly in the next year or so. Uh, so uh, we'll see how that one goes. Uh, but naturally, from an FX perspective, this is just an experiment that is proving uh, particularly uh, bad for the lira.
0: Thank you very much indeed for taking all our questions today. Francesco Pizzoli, who is the FX strategist over at ING, and we've heard from the Morgan Stanley CEO. Uh, Stay tuned for another U.S. banking heavyweight on CNBC ahead of the Fed's decision. Uh, which of course is coming tomorrow uh, bank of america ceo brian moynihan will join wilfred frost on closing bell in an exclusive interview 9pm central european time karen
1: joe biden has held face-to-face talks with senator joe manchin one of the main opponents among democrats to the president's 1.75 trillion dollar stimulus bill manchin told reporters conversations were positive and that anything is possible when asked whether the bill could be passed before christmas the Democratic senator's opposition to the scope of spending in Biden's plan has seen it held up for several months. Well, coming up on the show, we'll speak with Software Arga CEO Sanjay Bramawar as the German group gets an injection of fresh capital. Don't miss that first on CNBC interview.
0: And for more on how the Omicron variant is rattling markets ahead of Wednesday's Fed decision, check out the Squawk Box podcast. Welcome back. OPEC has lifted its demand forecast for the first quarter 2022 by 1.1 million barrels per day on expectations that the variant uh, Omicron, that is, will only impact markets moderately. The group expects demand at 100 million barrels per day in the third quarter of 2022. That is as previously forecast. Elsewhere, UBS has been ordered to pay 1.8 billion euros as a penalty for allegedly helping customers evade taxes through undeclared Swiss bank accounts. The Paris Court of Appeals upheld an earlier decision against the bank, but did reduce the fine from the original 4.5 billion euros. UBS was ordered to pay 800 million euros in damages and a confiscation order of 1 billion euros. The Swiss lender says it is evaluating the decision and may appeal.
1: A software, Algair has secured a 344 million euro investment from Silver Lake in a bid to accelerate growth, pursue acquisitions and bolster its position in North America. Two Silver Lake managing directors will join Software Arge's board on the back of the deal. Software Arger says the deal marks the first private injection into a German company from a U.S. technology investor. Uh, Sanjay Bramawar joins us now, the CEO of Software Arger. Thank you so much for joining us again, Sanjay. Uh, can you just walk us through where you're at? Because uh, a couple of weeks back it looked like your company was up for sale, that you'd put out notice that you were looking for a buyer, but now we've got this investment from this U.S. investor. So where exactly are you at with the process here?
3: Hey, Karen, thanks very much for having me. Look, I'm really excited about announcing this partnership with Silver Lake. This is, um, this is fantastic. It's a, it's a strong endorsement of our you know, success with Helix strategy, our growth strategy. And, you know, we've got a partner who here is the best and best of the best with technology investment and uh, very successful with this pipe model, which is basically, you know, private investment in a public equity and uh, with, with companies like Motorola, Airbnb, Twitter, UiPath. And so, you know, their focus is totally on growth. And, and that's why for us at this stage, after three years in our transformation, when we have successfully shifted our company towards subscription and SaaS, started bringing it back onto growth. You know, remember, our company had not grown for eight years, and now we believe the acceleration is going to be possible together with uh, Silver Lake as a partner. So that's where we are. We just announced the partnership, and I'm excited to get on this journey now.
1: Just how hands-on do you think Silver Lake will be because they're well known for their expertise but also specifically their relationships in the sector, is it about the connections they bring or do you think they're going to be incredibly hands-on with the strategy as well?
3: Look, Karen, you know, they have phenomenal expertise in the industry software as well as, uh, you know, understanding the transformation that we are doing. You know, we are getting two um, real strong transformation experts, Christian Lucas, who is the uh, MD of, uh, of EMEA, co-chair of uh, EMEA. And we are also getting uh, Jim Whitehurst, who is the ex-CEO of Red Hat. So we're bringing two very experienced senior execs onto our supervisory board. That will help, will be heavily involved in, you know, shaping the next phase and also helping us uh, um, ways of accelerating. One of the areas very much our presence in North America, as you know, we've been building, building that and now we're going to even further accelerate that. The second thing really is the uh, mergers and acquisition uh, program, you know, and we've been, we've been working towards getting the company to a position where now we can combine our organic growth with inorganic. And we believe together with Silver Lake, we can really accelerate this.
0: Sanjay, always a pleasure speaking to you. Thanks for joining us this morning. Look, um, you said now the strategy is going to really focus with Silver Lake on growth, which begs me the question and makes me ask what was the strategy if it wasn't on growth beforehand?
3: Hey, Steve. um, Look, I said accelerate growth. I did not say uh, the, the first because you know the strategy of Helix was to was to build sustainable, profitable growth, and that's what we have been achieving over the last three years. So you know we've shifted the business to a recurring revenue model today. of our product revenue is recurring. We've been delivering consistent double-digit growth in our recurring revenue, annual recurring revenue. We've been winning quite successfully with our total cloud-native portfolio, which we have fully transformed. So all these great blocks of our transformation are now in place, and what we are now doing is the next step of Helix, which is accelerating it. So, you know, the strategy doesn't change. It is is still the same strategy, sustainable, profitable growth. Now is the next phase, which is basically acceleration which is a combination of organic and inorganic
0: all right fair enough good answer look, look you know what i'm like and you know how pedantic i'm about share prices just tell me why your shares are still 25% below their peak of the last 5 years which they hit in early january 2018
3: look steve you know the the point is we are undergoing a massive transformation and if you think about it this company is, is totally different from what we were 3 years ago we were a total perpetual uh, software sales business which was which was not growing 0% or or negative today we are 88% recurring revenue business. We're growing double digit. We have, we have changed the entire product portfolio to a cloud native product portfolio. We're winning in the market and competing very effectively. So, you know, it's, it's a totally different company. Obviously we have to go through this transformation and, you know, I am not focused on the, on the short term. I'm focused on the long term as how we are building and, and, you know, creating the success of this company.
1: You mentioned before about Jim Whitehurst, this is a man that we've also spoken to a lot on the channel, but one of the big moves of course over at Red Hat was to sell the business to IBM, so can I circle back to where I started, is part of the big game plan here to grow the business with even a heftier price tag for sale down the track?
3: Look, I mean, I think, uh, you know, we get great expertise with Jim coming on board and, you know, the objective here is to build Software AG to be a formidable um, growth company, you know, in in the areas that we have chosen, which is basically hybrid integration, API management, IoT analytics, and business transformation. And, you know, our value to the customers is helping them become truly connected enterprises. And this is where we are differentiated because we are one of the only companies that can offer this end-to-end capability, creating a digital backbone because every company today, Karen, wants to be a software company. And it's not possible to do that if you don't have a strong digital backbone. This is what we do. And you know, Jim has done that very successfully with open source at Red Hat. So I'm so excited to work with Jim because this digital backbone and sitting on any cloud, whether it's Azure, AWS or Google or Alibaba, this for us is going to be a very successful way forward.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
1: Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cupmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.